Good morning, church. Woo! How are we doing today? Good. I'm so excited to be with you. I am the youth pastor here named Josh Wen, and it is my privilege to preach with you, to preach today. We've been in a series called Stay Positive the last few weeks which I think is a pretty good, timely word. We've talked through enough of the bad news. Get rid of that bad news source. We've talked about the cure of complaining. And how many people would say they've been practicing already, they notice a more positive lifestyle coming out just right now? Okay, a few. All right, okay, okay, okay. (laughs) But hey, we're going to continue right along with the Stay Positive series. And I want to talk today about something that, for me, is one of the hardest things to stay positive about. And that is myself. How many people would say, I am my own worst critic? Anybody out there? Is it just me? A couple. How many people right now would say, I don't need anybody critiquing me. I am my hardest critic. I know exactly what's wrong. I know exactly where I mess up. And I tell myself every day. Anybody? Raise of hands. Am I alone? A few people. Okay. Okay. A few, a few, a few, a few. All right. So this message is for the few of you out there. No, this is for everybody, okay? We're going to be talking. It's going to be good. We're going to have a good time. But man, sometimes it's so easy to just get down on ourselves. Sometimes it's so easy to just degrade and to have this internal monologue of how bad of a person we are. And today I want to talk just a little bit about that and why that's so bad and why that's so hard to have a positive outlook on life when we have that negative internal monologue going on. The reality is that probably, whether or not you raised or didn't raise your hand, that you've struggled with this at some point or time or are struggling with this now in your life. And when we lack confidence in ourselves, when we lack confidence in who we are, that manifests itself in insecurities. Can I get an amen? A couple people, good, okay, we're waking up, we're here. A couple people, right, it comes out as an insecurity in us. I just want to tell you guys a little bit, how easily it is for my insecurities to come out. I went golfing last week. I went golfing last week for maybe the first time in two or three years or something. And here's the good news. I've lost nothing. I am just as bad as I was three years ago as I was last week. But it was a beautiful day. I wanted a little bit of exercise, feeling lethargic after being in the hospital for a week and having newborn. So I just wanted to get out and walk a little bit. So I didn't care. I just wanted to get out in the air and just kind of go for a, a little golf game, right? And because I was by myself, uh, the people in front of me, it was a pretty busy day, and they were letting me pass them. And my insecurities felt my weakness. And they felt a chance to pounce on me, okay? And so the first group of passes, it was just two ladies. They were driving a cart. But I was, I, if, if nothing else... I guess I was going fast, if nothing else, okay? And so they said, hey, you want to pass us? I said, okay, sure. Not really, but I had no reason to say no. So I passed them. And after the first time of them coming and saying, do you want us to help you find your lost ball again? My insecurities were raging. And then the next group I passed were these three guys, and I could just feel their eyes on me. And by the end of that hole, I was just kicking the ball into the hole and just picking up so I can get out of there. And by the third time that somebody approached me and the guy on the tractor yelled at me because I have terrible, I guess, golf etiquette, whatever that word is, manners, etiquette. Thank you, somebody. Amen. Come on. I'm terrible. Let's go. I was already putting in my comfort food dumpling order from the golf range to pick up on my way home. But you know what? That's something I don't even care about. 
Golf, I, I can't, could care less about my golf game. It's something that doesn't even matter. People that I will never see again in my whole life. Yet my insecurities just come on me and come out. Not even talk about things that matter, like my job, my position as a father or a husband or a Christ follower. Man, something that doesn't even matter I can be so insecure about. And so today we're going to be talking about how we can build secure confidence but not in ourselves, though. And this may be a little bit counterintuitive. If you look anywhere right now on the internet or Pinterest or your daily support boards or whatever you do to get a little bit of inspiration, the common theme is you need more confidence. Confidence in yourself. Confidence, confidence, confidence. But I really do not think that that is the correct answer to having a positive outlook on life. And that's because of a few reasons. When I try to build confidence in myself, I'm setting myself up for failure. Because I'm a weak person. When I put confidence in myself, my heart is deceitful, Jeremiah 17, 9. When I put confidence in myself, my flesh is weak, Matthew 26, 41. When I put confidence in myself, my behavior is inconsistent, Romans 7. I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I desperately want to do. You guys understand where I'm going with this? Do you see the kind of theme of what I'm talking about today? And these insecurities come out, come out, come out. And when we see these insecurities come out, I think it kind of we see a couple stereotypes of insecurities. So here's just a, a little list of like, maybe you're thinking today, well, am I insecure? Maybe, maybe this relates to you. Maybe this is a way to identify if we are struggling a little bit insecurity. The first one is, are we people pleasing? And the best way I can think of this is, oh, I, I had a friend that had a golden retrievers growing up. And no matter what you did to those dogs or how poorly you talked to those dogs, those dogs, <laughs> I love you, I love you, what do you want me to do for you? They always come back. And this is the guy that just can never say no. Boss, you want me to come in to water your plants? Well, sure, sure, I'll do it. Let me just call my wife and tell her she has to go to the hospital and have our first kid by herself. Yes, I'll come. They need that affirmation, right? Maybe we're people pleasers. Maybe our insecurities come out as fishers. Anytime, anytime I do something at home, I call Amy over to check it out. Hey, hey, Amy, come, come here, come here, yeah, 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 just put the baby down, come here. Look at this chair. Yeah, I know it's a nice chair, but look, it, remember when it wobbled? Remember, remember that? I tightened the bolts on that. You're, why don't you sit down on that chair? No, seriously, sit down, sit down on the chair. Doesn't even squeak. Anybody out there feeling me on that? where you just need, anytime you do something you think positive, you must go and show it to people and get the compliments. Or maybe it comes out as the one-uppers. You went to the lake? You went, you went to the lake for vacation? That's awesome. I'm gonna, next week I'm about to go to my own private island that I bought. Yeah, it's, you know, it's off the Bahamas. It's just a little thing, but it's, my, it's you know, it's just a little place to call my own. Or maybe it's a, oh, you, oh good job. You, you heard God spoke to you in your devotions today. Oh, that's, I read Hebrews today. No, I actually, I didn't even read Hebrews today. I just uh, stood up and spoke it out loud from memory. Yeah, yeah. I, it's not, I'm not holy. I just love Jesus. I just love Jesus. And maybe we're one-uppers, right? But the most tragic one is this, is that when we let insecurities run our lives, it actually can cap our potential of what God's calling out of you because we're the good enoughers. It's easier not to have goals because then you will never be disappointed when you don't reach those goals. It's easier not to go and apply for the job because you know that you don't have the skills for the job. Or that even if you did get the job, Ken would definitely be way better than me. I will 
definitely get fired within a year. And the insecurity stops us from going and having the full life, the potential that God's calling out of us. And so that's why this conversation today is so important. Can we just turn our Bibles to Psalms 51, or sorry, Psalms 57, verse 1. I just want to read a few scriptures. This is when David was running from Saul, hiding in the cave, and it sets up this conversation really beautifully today. He says this, Psalms 57, verse 1. It says, Have mercy on me, O God, have mercy. I will look for your protection. I will hide beneath the shadow of your wings until the danger passes by. Cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send help from heaven to rescue me, disgracing those who hound me. God will send forth his unfailing love and faithfulness. I am surrounded by fierce lions who greedily devour human prey, whose teeth are like pierce, like spears and arrows, and whose tongues cut like swords. Verse 5, But be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your, may your glory shine over all the earth. My enemies have set a trap for me. I am weary from distress. They have dug a deep pit in my path, but they themselves have fallen into it. Verse 7, My heart is confident in you. My heart is confident in you, O oh God. My heart is confident. No wonder I can see your praises. I think about David on the run, without hope, without money, hungry, in disarray, surrounded by enemies, surrounded when everything looks bad, not wondering, wondering if he's going to be able to get out, looking, there's lions all around, my enemies are everywhere. And he says, my heart is confident in you, and I can sing praises. When we find our confidence in the Lord, our positive outlook on life is able, is available. Let's just pause really quick before we're going to jump into a few truths today. A few truths to shift our confidence from ourselves, from our situations, from our abilities or lack of abilities to do something, to be the people who we want to be. A few truths to help us shift that confidence onto God because he does not disappoint. Can we just pray for a second before we get to these? Father, thank you, God, for today. Lord, when I woke up this morning, it was raining, and you held off the rain. Lord, when we got here right now, God, you put shadow over us, and you gave us a wind. Thank you, God, for the team that got here to set up. Thank you, God, for meeting us in the worship, in the parking lot, before we even woke up, Father. Lord, I'm feeling this prayer right now really strongly, God. If there's anything stopping us from hearing your word, not just the preaching word, God, but whatever you would speak to us in service today, God, I just silence those distractions in the name of Jesus Christ. Right now, Father, I pray that we would just give our full and total attention to you. Holy Spirit, be speaking to us right now in our seats, at home, in the sanctuary, Father. Love you and praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Hey, really quick, will you just turn to somebody in the parking lot and just wave? You don't have to know them. Just wave. Get a little excited. Shout it. Say, hey, it's good to see you. If you are online, would you just drop a comment and say, hey, it is good to see you. Not just about this, man. It's about this. That's why I love the gathering, man. We got to say hello. We got to be in community. But hey, we're jumping to 1 Samuel chapter 14, if you want to turn there in your Bibles with me. And so we're going to start with the first couple of verses here in Samuel. Um, there's a lot of information that you don't need. 
So I'm going to highlight just a few of the things that relate to the story that we're talking about. But basically, Saul, King Saul and his son Jonathan are out on the warpath. The Philistines have come up against them, and so they are camped out, ready to make war. But because of Saul's disobedience to the Lord, they're at a standstill, full of indecision. And they're just sitting and waiting and wasting resources and actually getting weaker instead of stronger. And so in the midst of this, we join the story with Jonathan, his son. And so it says this, One day Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come, come on, let's go over to where the Philistines have their outpost. But Jonathan did not tell his father where he was going. A few verses later, no one realized that Jonathan had left the Israelite campsite. Verse 6, Jonathan says, Let's go across to the outposts of those pagans. He said to his armor bearer, Perhaps the Lord will be with us. Perhaps the Lord will help us. For nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or few. The armor bearer said, Do what you think best. I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. And the story goes on from there where Jonathan says, we'll go up to the outpost. And if they say, come up to us, then we know that God's with us. But if they say, stay there, and come, we'll come down to you, we'll know that he's not and we'll abandon the plan. What happens is they go to the outpost, just Jonathan and his armor bearer. They go up there and they shout out some insults and they look down and they say, come on up, we'll teach you a lesson. And he goes up and he defeats more than 20 men. And then after he defeats more than 20 men, the whole campsite goes into a mass panic and they start fighting each other. And then God sends an earthquake. And then Israel, hearing the battle, raises up and goes and has an incredible military victory. But what I really want to focus in is on Jonathan and his conversation with God today. What I love about this is that Jonathan leaves room for God to direct him. Jonathan and his armor bearer defeat over 20 people for this incredible victory. But I think he's... He has this idea in his head. He has this unspoken truth that he's not saying out loud. And this is that God is with me. God is with me. Now, superhero movies and Star Wars have ruined this thought in our mind. But really think about this. Two guys. Imagine me and Manny. Two guys take down 20 plus 20 other guys. That's crazy. I mean, in you know, superheroes movies, that's just boom. That's just like a normal day, okay, in the job. But for regular, regular guys, that's impossible. Even if they just jumped on top of us and sat on us, there's no way. I mean, for sure, 10 guys, yeah. But 20 guys? Get out of here. No way. No way. And Jonathan goes and does something impossible. Jonathan goes and does something that there's no way he could do in his own strength. Because I believe he has this mentality that God is for me. The verse that's very familiar to us is Romans 8, 31. It says, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? This is one of the life-changing verses for me as I was growing up and maturing in my faith, is realizing that God is for me. He's championing for me. I don't have to earn his love. I don't have to do anything to make him proud. He is, I have his favor. He is for me. And what does that do to our confidence? How does that shift our idea of confidence in God? Well, it does this. It means that we stop living our lives for God's approval. and Instead, we start living from God's approval. And that's a big change. It means it's an identity shift. We stop seeking God's. We stop being the people pleaser. We stop being the the fishers for compliments. We stop being the one-uppers because we know we walk in God's approval. And that does something to you. 
you live your life differently. I have no idea if this is true or not, but I have to think that if Jonathan was living a life for God's approval, this story would not have happened. I have a feeling that when we live for somebody's approval, we get timid. My, my father, the king, says we should stay camped out here. The commanders around me say we should stay camped out here. Nobody else is leaving and going and fighting. We should stay camped out. I actually am obeying and not doing anything out of line if I stay right where I am. But Jonathan, knowing that God is for him, does something ridiculous. Couple, uh, this is a plug to a sermon series we did at the very beginning of the year. But we did a sermon series on the Sabbath. And this fits so well with the idea, I just want to give a quick plug to it. Is Sabbath is the basic idea of taking one day, 24 hours out of your week, where you do nothing. Where you eat a lot of food, you worship God, and you spend time resting. It's amazing. If you've never Sabbath, or this is a new idea to you, or you haven't done it yet, go back and listen to that series. But a key component to Sabbathing is this, is that six days out of the week, we earn our place on earth. We go and do our jobs. We go and uh, give energy relationally to the people around us. We go and work, work, work. But on one day of the week, we stop and do nothing and feel God's tremendous favor and blessing upon us. And every time I Sabbath, it's a reminder that I don't have to do anything to receive God's love. Are you working for approval? Are we working for approval? Are we living our lives out of God's approval? I wonder what that does to our daily lives. Talk how it shifts our identity a little bit. And my oldest child is about to turn four, but she's still three. And anytime we have a house guest over, or my mom came in from out of town and spent a week with us helping us adjust to the new child, as soon as they come in, she feels the authority to drop the house rules. Busha, stop. Take your shoes off. There's no shoes on the carpet. Busha, stop. No, that's not where that book goes. Where that goes over here. And that could be seen as impetus, like, what's this little child doing bossing me around? But Nora knows the authority that she has because these are the house rules. And my mom and dad back me up. They tell me all the time that there's no shoes in this part of the house, so I can tell you. And when you start living out of approval, you start walking with an authority that you know you own. You no longer have to seek God's approval. You have it on you, and it changes something in your mind. I wonder if you've ever done sports of any kind, or any kind of competition, or anything, even if you went to youth group and we do a stupid game where it's like you have to pick the Cheetos out of the tub with your toes or something, right? And every time we do that, we try to get hype for the people doing that action. And it changes something. When you know that there are people around you that are for you, it changes your mindset. I remember when I was about 20, I think, 19 or something like that, I, I'm not, well, first of all, disclaimer, I am not, I repeat, I am not, and I actually loathe a runner. I hate running. My body is not built for running. Short distance sprints, okay? But for whatever reason, I thought, I'm going to do a 5K. And I put zero prep into it. I showed up with just whatever pair of tennis shoes I went. I said, we're going to do a 5K. And they counted down, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and I was off the line. 
And for five seconds, I was winning the 5K. I was in front of everybody. And then you know what happened 10 seconds later? Everybody passed me. And I jogged, and I ran, and I walked, blah, blah, blah. And I got to the very end, feeling just really done. And I was here to maybe the grass. And I was like, just honing it in. I was like, okay, I will at least finish it. And I was just walking, dragging maybe a better uh, adjective to the finish line. But the people on the sidelines started cheering. They started cheering for my number. And they started cheering for me. And I heard it. I heard it. I heard it. And so what I ended up doing is I found energy I didn't think I had, and I sprinted to the very end and put my hands in the air like I just won the Boston Marathon, even though I was coming in somewhere towards the end, okay? It didn't matter. Is that when I felt the support of people around me, I did something I did not think I could do. And when you feel the support and the favor, and you get this idea that God is for you, you will start doing things that you did not think you could do. You will stop living inside of the limitations of saying, this is my ability and this is what I can do. There's no way I could ever lead a small group. Yes, I can. I'm going to learn how. There's no way I could invite somebody and bring my neighbors who don't know Jesus to church. No, yes, I can. There's no way I could go up and defeat. There's no way. God's for me. I'm going to try something crazy and see what happens. Right now, even in your seats, I wonder if you would just say to yourself, God is for me. Would you just do this? I know it's silly sometimes. It feels weird to say these things out loud. But in the comments online, would you just even type, God is for me? Would you just say this right now? God is for me. Say it again. God is for me. Say it one more time. God is for me. Not only is God for you, he helps you. Back in Psalms 57, he says, he will send help from heaven to rescue me. And Jonathan walks around with this confidence, knowing that God not only will be for him, but he will help him. What's really interesting to me about the story about Jonathan and his armor bearer going up here is that there's no indication that this was God's idea. There's no indication that this was Jonathan's calling to go and defeat a garrison of enemies. Jonathan gets a little antsy. Jonathan gets a little bit bored. Jonathan gets a little bit dissatisfied just sitting and waiting for something to happen. So he says, hey, dude, you want to go try to beat up a bunch of guys? Okay, yeah, let's do it. And they get a little crazy. We are co-laborers in Christ. Meaning that God chooses to partner with us and we bring something to the table. And this is Jonathan's dream, Jonathan's idea to go up and fight this garrison of men. And God meets him with Jonathan's dream. So easy is, it's easy for us to sit sometimes and wait for God to reveal his will to us. It's so easy sometimes to sit and be like, God, you shut or open the doors. You need to be the, the person that starts things up. But here we see Jonathan actually taking the initiative and God meets him. But what's so important is what Jonathan does is that he leaves room for direction for God to continue to speak to him. When I go up, if they say, come up to us, we know God's with us. If they say, we'll come down to you, we know he's not, and we'll retreat. Maybe God's waiting for us to go and do something, to give him something to work with, and he's going to do something incredible. You know the byproduct of Jonathan saying, hey, let's go up and do this? Maybe the Lord's with us today. 
The byproduct of that is that it raised confidence in the armor bearer. The byproduct of that was that they defeated 20 people. The byproduct of that was that Israel and the whole army had a major victory. The byproduct of that is later in the story, it says that they were um, Israelites that had actually gone over to the enemy's side. But when they saw the battle starting, they went back to the Israelite side and they finished the fight. When we are faithful, when we have confidence in God, it not only builds confidence in you, it builds confidence in the people around you. It will build confidence in the people that are far from God and actually resistant to God, resistant to his message. And all this comes from this idea is that God's for me and God will help me. Hebrews 13, 6 says, So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Jesus, give me confidence in you. I don't know if this is hitting you guys the same way it hit me this week, but when I started thinking on this, when I started thinking of Jonathan's story, it started something in me that can only be described as dreaming. God, what are the things that would be crazy if I did? And not for my glory, not for myself, but just something. What would be, what if, what if NIU became a Christian campus? What if, NIU, what if there was a Christian group, a church that met for the college students? What if we won this whole area or this whole area? God, what is something crazy that there's no way I could do by myself? But if you met me and were in with it, it would happen. I started getting my mind turning of things of, am I in a spot of waiting for God to act, or am I in a place of life where I'm living out of confidence and identity and knowing that God is with me, and he will help me, he's interested in the things that I'm interested in, he actually wants to bless me in the things that I, that I want, he wants to give me the things that I desire, and he will meet me. It changes how I think, and it changes how I live my life, and it changes my outlook on life. I wonder today if you're thinking, that's great, that's good to know, I hear what you're saying, but you don't know me. You don't know who I am. You don't know the things that, you don't know the way that I spoke to my family this week. You don't know the way that I talked at work. You don't know the way I spent my Saturday night. You don't know what I looked up on my phone this morning. You don't know where I'm at in my faith walk, that I'm actually far from God, and I actually have major doubts about God. You don't know who I am, and you don't know the things that I've done. And it's easy to fall into the trap that when we have sinned and looking at our past and we think that those things have disqualified us from the, God's, the potential that God's put on our lives. It's easy to think that God's this just authority, this authoritative figure upstairs just waiting for us to mess up and then pounce on us. But anybody that's a parent here, I think would probably agree with me that Disciplining your children is one of the worst parts of the job. I mean, maybe second worst thing. The first thing probably being that kids are about equivalent to owning a yacht. 
But I mean, but outside of that, I mean, discipline sucks. It's, it's not the fun part of being a parent. But when my kids act out and my kids hit each other or yell or scream or throw a tantrum or disobey us, and they force me to go through and follow up with the consequences of those decisions, I never look at them and say, this is the best that you're going to be. You will always be this. You will always be messing up. You will always be in this place of your life. When I see my kids, I see them in a place of becoming. I see them in a place of transformation. I see them in a place of my deepest hope is that they are better than I am. I believe they are and will be. I believe they'll make better decisions than I have and be wiser and be educated and good and successful and have incredible families and lives and careers. I believe the best for them because I'm their parent and I am their biggest cheerleader in their corner. And God is the same for you. When we mess up, when we've lived past lives, even in our current life, when we fall short of the glory of God, to put it in biblical terms, There is grace for you. Because when we sin, we do suffer the consequences of our choices. If I get loaded up, and I take a car out, and I drive and get into a car accident, I suffer the consequences of my decisions. And I have to bear that burden. But, that does not disqualify you from the potential of what God's put on you. Because the truth never changes is that God is for you and God will help you. The, I've told this people, I don't know how many years, but for as long as I can remember, my favorite thing about the Bible is that it is just one huge book with one recurring theme, is that God is a redeeming God. Time and time again, you see people and heroes and you see people raise up and fail and God raise a savior and save. And they raise up and they fail and God redeems. The whole book of Judges is just a huge compilation of the Israelites falling short of their God, going worshiping other gods, falling into distress, calling out God. God raises a Savior and saves them again and again and again. He sends a new prophet, a new Savior, a new warlord to save them from their current predicament. And again and again and again we see that story is that God is a redeeming God. I don't think we can exhaust his love. No matter how many times I have to discipline my children, I'm not going to say, Nora, you know what? That was it. I told you to put away your toys. You did not put away your toys. And now you need to move out of the house. Dad, I'm three. I don't care. Go to the neighbors. They love you. Okay? I did never say that to my kids. They're not going to exhaust my grace and love for them. Maybe you're trying to kick a really nasty addiction right now and you keep failing and you can't feel like you can get past it. God redeems you. Maybe you're looking at a broken relationship right now and like, I can't see a way where this gets resolved. God redeems it. Maybe you have this internal monologue that we talked about at the beginning where you're, you have this sentence on repeat. I can't believe I did that again. I can't believe, I can't, I'm such an idiot. I can't believe that I would mess up again. 
God redeems you. God saves you. Maybe you're just in a really tight spot. You're feeling pressed down, and you don't see a way out, and you're just kind of giving up right now. God redeems, and God saves. That's what I love the most about this book, is that God is redeeming God, and he saves. And we, do not, we are not disqualified by our sin because of Jesus. When I'm confident in God, I can be confident about who I am in God, and I can have a positive outlook on life. C.S. Lewis says this in mere uh, Christianity. He says, Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be some sort of greasy, swarmy person who always is telling you that, of course, he is nobody. Probably all of you will think about him, probably all that you will think about him is that he is a seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. A humble person does not need to undervalue or disparage themselves. He is far too busy engaging the world beyond his own self-drama. A humble person is far too confident in who he is in God to worry about much else. When I'm confident in God, I can be confident about who I am and who I am becoming in God. And I can have a positive outlook on life. Because God is for me. God helps me. And God is still working in me. This place of becoming, this place of our sins, not this, there, there's a couple helpful verses that I want to just turn our attention to. It's Philippians 1, 6. This is a pretty common one that we've probably heard often, but it says, God who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, But we Christians have no veil over our faces. We can be mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. And as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like him. I wonder if the stories about Jonathan where he went and tried something and failed at it that didn't get recorded in the Bible. Yet he still got to a point where he could say, perhaps the Lord's with me today and I'm going to go do something crazy. And God met him, God helped him, and he did something he could not have done by himself. And that comes from knowing that God is a loving God that lavishly throws his love on you, lavishly cares for you, will never turn you away, will never say you've done one too many this time. That you are already a favored people. I am favored by God. You are favored by God. You are blessed by God. And you don't have to do anything to earn that. We're going to be ending today with taking communion. And if you have not gotten your communion packet, it's already individually uh, packaged. You can come over to the visitor tent and the ushers will be walking around. Just raise your hand if you do not have it. At home, online, if you would just take a little bit of time to go, hopefully you prepped before coming to today's service, but go and grab some juice or bread or whatever you have lying around and prepare to take communion with us. But taking communion, it, it worked out so well today. This was Communion Sunday because it's an incredible way to reset our minds 
and remember who we are in God so we can be who God says we are going to be coming to be. And really quick, before we do that, I just want to extend a salvation invitation. Maybe you're watching online or tuned in or like Braden said, you saw that we're having church outdoor and you just came or maybe you came because somebody invited you and maybe you're not in the place to, you don't have that confidence in God. Maybe this is something that you've had doubts over with for a long time. You've not quite been convinced. But maybe today you've been hearing God talk to you. Maybe you feel a pressure in your chest that you're just like, oh man, what is going on? I feel something today. That's called the Holy Spirit speaking to you and calling you. Calling you home. That's called the love of the Father saying, I love you. And I'm pleased with you. I'm not mad at you. Come home. And so really quick, if we can just close our eyes, I just want to pray this prayer. And if everybody would just pray it aloud as well, because I want to make, I don't want to set any obstacles between somebody giving their life to Jesus. If you feel embarrassed praying, I don't want you to feel embarrassed praying. So I will say a prayer and you will repeat me and then we'll go back and forth and then we'll take communion together. Father, I admit that I'm a sinner. I know I've made mistakes. I am not a perfect person. But Lord, I'm ready to make a change today. Father, I believe that I can become better. I'm ready to come home to you. So I believe in Jesus, that he is dead and raised from the dead by God. I receive the free gift of salvation and today receive a new life. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands right now, but can we just clap in faith that somebody here or in line received Jesus for the first time today and they've come home. Now, if you would, just stand with me. And we're going to take communion. And communion is open to anybody that calls Jesus their Lord and Savior. And so if you're not even here consistently on church, you are still open to take communion with us as long as you call Jesus Lord and Savior. And so you can find those elements if you have not yet at the new visitor tent. But if you would take off the top and take out the bread, I'm going to read a few verses and then we will and hold it and then we'll take it together. As you're getting that ready, 1 Corinthians 11, 27-28 says, So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord... Oh, sorry, sorry. Wrong verse. Haha. <laughs> Matthew 26, 26. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat, for this is my body. I'm going to be quiet for just a few moments, and when you feel ready, and when you feel realigned with God... When you can declare, God, you are for me, and I put my confidence in you, take the bread. I'm going to be quiet for a few minutes and give you a moment.
you can take the top off of the cup of juice. In Matthew 26, 27, it says, He took a cup of wine, gave thanks to God. He gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. I'll give you another moment. And when you are ready, this is the part where you say, thank you, God. Because communion turns our hearts to praise and joy for the things that God has done in us. For the old person that he put to death and the new person we are becoming in our. So when you are ready and you are feeling rejoiceful and thankful, go ahead and take the cup. Let's pray. Father, thank you, God, for the great gift of salvation. Thank you, God, for the tradition of communion, Father, bringing us back into a place of remembering the first time we committed our lives to Christ, God, and how your power then is still powerful now, Father. How who you are calling us to be, God, we still can be, Father. How our past does not disqualify us from the future, Father, of who you're calling us in to be, Father. Lord, we don't come, we don't take the elements out of obligation. We have communion, Father, as a proclamation of Jesus' powerful salvation in our lives, Father. Church, right now, can we just end with a big clap of thanksgiving and joy? Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done in us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Woo. Thank you guys for coming to church today. This has been a joy, and it's I hope you feel encouraged. I feel, I pray that nobody right now is walking away feeling discouraged or unqualified. I pray you walk out of here with confidence not in yourself, but in God who never fails, who is for you and who is going to help you and who is doing an incredible work in you. Amen. Before you go, I have one announcement about the picnic and then we are out of here. Next week is the picnic and we desperately need a final head count so we can make sure there's enough food for everybody. We have our uh, catering chef who actually goes to church here, Brian Eater, who's gonna be preparing the food and everything will be individually wrapped, cooked and wrapped in a safe, COVID safe way. So when we go out there, we're not bringing food. We're just asking that you would stop at the new visitor tent and get your ticket or go online or go on the app and get your ticket. And then if next week you would bring your tent and your chairs, because we're going to spread out all over the yard. We're not going to be close together. We're just going to use all of these 20 acres that God gave us. And lastly, we need about 15 or 20 volunteers. So if you're willing to serve next week, stop at the new visitor tent. I love you. See you next week, church. Say hi to somebody or bye on your way out. See you later.